Happy Friday, folks. Today I have on a special member from the Buckeye Beat, Colin Haas Hill from the 11 Warriors. We get into his background and what it took to become a sports writer at 11 Warriors. A little bit on the Buckeyes, the Nebraska recap, as well as a look forward to Penn State. Some areas of encouragement and concern and what coronavirus could mean for the rest of the season for the Buckeyes. How many wins do we need to qualify for the college football playoff? All that and more. Without further ado, here's Colin. Colin, thanks so much for joining me today. How are we doing? I'm doing well. Appreciate you having me. I really, when I started Refine the Line, I wanted to kind of get integrated with a Buckeye reporter like yourself and really get a firsthand kind of touch and knowledge of what's going on with both the football team and basketball team. As you know, it's kind of religion here around Columbus, Ohio. And so, yeah, I really, really appreciate you uh, joining the show today. Before we jump into the Buckeyes, though, I wanted to get a little background about yourself, how you came about 11 Warriors and what your journey was into sports writing itself. Was it something you always wanted to do growing up? And did you come across it in college? What's, what's kind of your background in actually getting to the point of being a sports writer for 11 Warriors? Yeah, I was born in Richmond and then moved to Cleveland, Ohio when I was you know, around fifth grade age. And when I was younger, I would always read the sports section. I was always interested in sports, played sports, all that. But you know, you get to a point where <laughs> you realize that your life is not going to be only playing sports unless uh, unless I would have had a five inch growth inch growth spurt and, and added quite a bit of athleticism. But I hear you there. Yeah, I get to I get to get to college and I wasn't hundred percent sure what I wanted to do. I was at West Virginia University. I was there for a year, then transferred to Ohio State. And I was never an Ohio State fan growing up. I never really cared about them at all. Um, it was more so I, I I was a West Virginia fan growing up. So and I still am to this day. But I think you live around uh, you live in Cleveland, you live in Columbus long enough and, and you gain appreciation for, for what there is going on in Columbus and, and obviously there's the Buckeyes there. So I was I, I eventually started covering them for the student paper for a couple of years in college, and then I graduated from Ohio State and internship covering the Cape Cod Baseball League for a summer. And then, you know, there's a position open at 11 Warriors. And, and thankfully, you know, some of the people there had, had known me. So, you know, I had applied um, a little bit a little bit prior and then, you know, I ended up getting the job. And you know, I've been here for a little over two years now. So technically... This is going to be my third season, even though, you know, that first year, I, my first day back was actually Urban Meyer's first day back from suspension. So that was, that was a heck of a welcome back to the beat. Oh, wow. That's, uh, that's very interesting. You, that was, there was a lot going on that year, 2018. There was. <laughs> I want to, I want to step back to just kind of your college years when you transferred from uh, West Virginia to Ohio State. What was that culture shock like? I have, a cousin and another friend that actually went to, it's not Charleston, it's Morgantown, uh, West Virginia, that actually did something similar. They went to West Virginia for a year, one of them did, and then transferred back to Ohio State. And I have another one that just went to West Virginia the entire time. What's what's the culture like there, especially like in the football uh, programs? I imagine they have a pretty strong football following, but what's the kind of the difference or level? And then my second question too is when you came to uh, Columbus and went to Ohio State. How did you get involved with the paper or with uh, 
the the local paper was it the local paper there which uh which paper was it was it? Uh, yeah it was the student paper the lantern um so lantern, all student okay, run yeah. i went to Ohio yeah, State it was, too, so i'm familiar with the lantern <laughs> yeah it was interesting um you know i it was one of those things where i went to west virginia and like i have a lot of family who have gone there and it was it was something where i stepped on campus it really just felt like i wanted to to spend my four years there um and then, you know, I, I don't know, I just I just never really fell in love with the day to day atmosphere of it when I was there. And I think at some point I realized, you know, maybe I'd rather be back in Ohio. And I had, you know, some people who I knew going to Ohio State who I felt more comfortable with. Um, so I ended up making that transition. I mean, it was if you want to talk about like the sports culture, stuff like that, there is there is some there's definitely some similarity there. I think it's it's very different in the size of it, obviously. Uh, when you think of West Virginia, maybe you think of the Pat White days from from last decade, or and, uh, um, was it Steve you know, Slate, Will, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Owen Schmidt, <laughs> Owen even Schmidt. recently with Will Greer, like they've had their great teams, but you know, Ohio State's Ohio State's a different level. I mean, it's one of the top three yeah. programs. Um, Who's that other receiver but, too? They had that was pretty good, but he busted in the NFL for the Bears. Kevin White. Yeah. Oh, was Kevin that? White was amazing. The Kevin White Will Greer connection. Uh, uh, if they I, had any I, semblance of a defense, they would have been okay. I play. I don't know if you play fantasy football or not, but I play a ton of dynasty football. And dynasty, mm-hmm. you keep your team every year, and you just select rookies. And I had so much Kevin White shares, and he just ruined me. But that's a story for another day. Uh, <laughs> I love dynasty football. It's I'd talk that. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, but, we could talk that yeah, all, no. day, all day long. How how was working yeah, at the it, Leonard though? So you come to Ohio State. What was working at the Leonard like? You're obviously getting more acclimated to the Columbus culture. You said you had some friends here. What was that like? How did that kind of give you a start in your sports writing? Uh, yeah, career? well, it was funny though. The way I started wasn't necessarily writing. It was actually we just started. Me and me and a friend just started doing Ohio State podcasts, and it just so happened to be, um, I believe it was 2014. Uh, no, it was 2015. I think it was the year after they won the national championship, um, and they were a complete disappointment that year, even though they almost made the the playoff again. Um, but you know, we started doing the podcast and then the next year, you know, I started doing some on camera stuff and then it's just like, you're there long enough. And like, people see you like, uh, the, eventually, you know, I started applying for, um, some jobs there and I got, I became assistant sports director of the TV station, you know, that's affiliated with the paper. And then the next year, my senior year, I was sports editor there. Um, and you know, that's, it's an interesting world there because like right now, like my job is just to cover Ohio state. So it's pretty simple. You, you you report on the team. You write about the team. Um, back then, it's like you have to do that, but you also have to be in charge of a bunch of student reporters, which that is that is that is that is a full time job by itself. Sure, you know, I, I imagine it's you're not by any means just focusing or worrying about yourself. You have a lot more responsibility. Did uh, did you happen? You mentioned the year, and that was one of the biggest letdown years I can remember Ohio State having. Another one in terms of just pure talent the year after our national title year the other one that really comes to mind was the 1998 season which is probably long before your ohio state um you know fandom when we lost to michigan state that year did you happen to go to the game when we lost uh the year after we won the national title it was at the shoe i think it was like 10 degrees and just crazy weather were you at that game I actually was not. That was the one. That was a year before I started covering the team and going to games. I still remember where I was. I was at a friend's apartment off campus, and I walked there in the rain and then watched just a terrible football game <laughs> that ended with Ezekiel Elliott calling out the coaches, though. So I remember where I was, but I was not in the stadium. 
That's good. Yeah, I was at the game for that one, and that was probably the most miserable game I've I've been to. And I've been to a couple over the years, but that one just paired with the weather and obviously the final result, it was it was brutal. So you didn't you didn't miss out much there. After so after after Ohio State graduated, you worked newspaper and lantern. You decided to take a job with the Cape Cod Baseball League. Is that correct? I I took an I had an internship there covering it for a summer, which is. I, I I didn't know anything about the Cape Cod Baseball League until I actually started covering it. But you know, I assume some people also don't know, and and you know that is where a majority of the best college baseball players go spend their summer playing. So you know, I'm not someone who's ever been a big college baseball fan. I've I've liked the MLB for for years and years and years, but never been a big college baseball fan. But you know, you go there, and I mean, shoot, there's like little league sized crowds watching the best college baseball players in the country. And that is, that is a fascinating experience. I have a friend who was a pitcher at Wright state in college and he actually played in the Cape Cod league one summer. I remember this is probably 2011, maybe or mm-hmm. 2000, maybe, maybe 12 or 13. I'm not even sure the year, but he played, played in the uh, Cape Cod league one time. And he said it was a fascinating, fascinating time, like great time in his life. So mm-hmm. I bet, uh, I bet that was fun. So you did that for a you did that for a summer. You said one year. Yep, I did that. I did that for a summer, and I wasn't really exactly sure what I was going to do after. And like, funny enough, I didn't really expect to be back covering Ohio State. I thought when I graduated, I'd move on to do something else. But then this job appeared, and you know, it's covering gonna, Ohio State for, that. for so a big outlet. <laughs> you were never stuck in. Hey, I want to stay in Columbus. I want to cover Ohio State because Cape Cod. I mean, that's on the East Coast. That's a what. 12 hour, 10 hour drive away on the whole, um, not opposite side, but Eastern most side rather than the Midwestern part of the United States. So you ended up just running across the 11 warriors job. How did that come about? You said you were applying places and they just had an opening and, and that's how it came together. Yeah. Yeah. I knew that. I knew that someone was leaving. Um, and I knew, you know, Dan Hope is a fellow beat writer who I work with here. Um, Kevin Harris is someone else who's on staff. And, you know, I went to college at the same time as Kevin. He was a long time intern at 11 Warriors. So I always knew, always knew some of the people who were involved in it. Um, and it was more so like it was just timing. You know, my, my, my internship ended at the perfect time. They had a job opening. I remember talking to Jason, who owns 11 Warriors, for an hour or so. And, you know, eventually, eventually I got offered the job and started, uh, believe it was week four of the 2018 season. That's that the timing of that couldn't have been more ironic and probably <laughs> better for you too. Although it would have been pretty oh, juicy no writing idea. about urban with, uh, with him being away, but coming back with, had to be pretty fun. I imagine. Oh, you have, you have no idea. Like I felt like, I felt like I won the lottery that I didn't have to cover three months of the Zach Smith ordeal because you know, it's on one hand, you know, as a reporter, you know, it's, it, it's good to be involved in a big story like that. Like, like you don't ever want something like that to happen, but like, it's interesting. Like the other aspect of that is I probably would have gotten like three hours of sleep a night because things were just constantly happening. So I was, I was He's spraying WD 40 on the fire, you know, Zach Smith is, and <laughs> yeah. it's just, it's endless. Uh, almost every day there's something new coming out with, uh, was it Brett McMurphy? I think was yep. the reporter. And yeah, that was, that was a crazy year and a crazy time. So how is, uh, the kind of the last one I want just in your background as well, before we kind of get into the Buckeye stuff is what's it been like working at 11 warriors? How would you even describe 11 warriors to somebody who doesn't know about them? I know, you know, just being, I live in Columbus. I've been here my whole life from, from Dublin myself. I know of 11 warriors. I read 
articles from you guys almost weekly. Uh, you know, there's other publications out there that also cover the Buckeyes, but how would you say, how would you describe 11 Warriors? Where is your niche and what do you specifically um, cover for 11 Warriors yourself? Yeah, it's, you know, when you're on the Ohio State beat, what, what becomes clear is just how many outlets there are that cover Ohio State. You could find, you can find dozens and dozens of people in places that, that cover the Buckeyes. I think, you know, from 11 Warriors perspective, it's a little interesting for me because, you know, Dan Hope, who I said is my fellow beat writer, me and him, like, we're not Ohio State fans, really. Like, I, I went to school at Ohio State, but I'm a West Virginia fan. Like, I'm not, I'm not someone who, you know, roots, spends my Saturdays rooting for the Buckeyes. I sort of just covered the team um, as, as a job. So it's a little interesting in, in that regard, because I think that you know, 11 Warriors is a site, like, I would probably classify it as a fan site. Um, but it has a gigantic following. Um, you're writing for, you know, tens of thousands of people. Um, and I don't know, it's, it's, you know, it's, it caught, we, we cover Ohio state, like in my job, I'm the co co football beat writer slash lead basketball beat writer. So, you know, football is my main priority, but when basketball season rolls around, it just means I'm twice as busy. Um, so that, that keeps me busy for the fall and then the winter. And then, you know, things get a little bit slow in the spring and summer, but if anybody who reads 11 warriors knows, like there is content on the site every day for, for a reason, because you got to pay the bills around here. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. You're pumping stuff out left and right. How does it, uh, like what's an expectation for you in terms of maybe article releases and maybe it's different with when basketball is live, but during, uh, like football season, how many articles would you say like you're expected to, uh, produce? Is it few a week we, at least? Yeah, I imagine. You know, we don't. Yeah, we don't have. We don't have specific. Um, we don't have specific expectations set. It's more so we have an editorial calendar that sort of lays out what a day to day is. And you know, six days a week, I'll have an article in the morning due, and then you know things happen. So like there are interviews. You know, we're recording this on a Thursday. Ryan Day had an interview at noon today. So, you know, we would write off of that. You know, yesterday there were two and a half hours of player interviews. So we would write after that. Uh, on Tuesday, there was Ryan Day at his, at his big weekly press conference, and then a couple players spoke. So you'd write after that. So it's more so just day-to-day type of stuff. And, and the busier things are on the sports calendar, the, the more content we're probably producing. That's awesome. Yeah, that's that's really cool. I, I figured it had to do with kind of what's, what's going on throughout the week because there's always media mm-hmm. and press stuff happening for – the players being available, Ryan Day, et cetera. That's that's really cool. Uh, let's let's get into some Buckeye stuff too. Now that we're uh, we're talking about it, we just played first game week one, October twenty fourth. It was for me personally. I even the first month, month and a half of college football, I couldn't really get into it. Once the Bama Georgia game came about a couple weeks ago, my my mm-hmm. my juices started flowing, and I'm like, okay, college football's back. Uh, Ohio State is is right around the corner. I'm I'm finally enjoying you know what I'm watching and and seeing. For the first month though, I was kind of I wasn't tuned out. I was still watching some of the games, but I just it didn't feel the same because the Big Ten wasn't playing. And being an Ohio State fan myself, my team was not playing, mm-hmm. and it wasn't right. But we're back. Big win versus Nebraska. Ohio State uh, wins fifty two seventeen. You wrote an article about Justin Fields. Uh, which basically highlighted him kicking off his Heisman campaign. Give me a little background on what you thought of the Buckeyes week one against Nebraska. And yeah, what, what would you kind of give a grade for the, for the team week one too? 
Yeah, I think, you know, Justin Fields rated his spin move to get into the end zone a B. And I think that that's, you know, that I would probably great. give I would probably give the uh, the whole team probably a B plus or something. I think that, you know, it's funny because, you know, a game like that happens and it just feels like when you're at when you're covering Ohio State, like you just there's a lot of negativity even in 35 point wins. And like me personally, I don't know. I think there's a lot of positives to, to be gained from that game and, and none none bigger than than Justin Fields. Uh, when you go twenty for twenty-one for what two hundred seventy-six yards, two two passing touchdowns, one rushing touchdown, uh, no turnovers. I mean, I just think that he, you know, we spent. I, I feel like me personally, I spent the whole offseason wondering, like, how is how is he going to get better? And it just did feel like he actually was a better version of himself on on Saturday in Week One. So I think, like, when you look at the offense, the especially the passing offense with Justin Fields throwing to Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, I just think that. You, know, you might have the best quarterback and best duo of wide receivers in the country. And if you want to start there, then then I think that that's the best place to start. Um, because offensively, I just feel like this this offense can can be the best offense in the country after after week one, even though like, you know, I would readily admit, I think everybody would readily admit that the the running game probably wasn't up to up to par. Based off what we've seen with with Dobbins recently as as well as I mean, even Weber was pretty solid, and then you obviously had Zeke. The last six, mm-hmm. seven years have been pretty spoiled as Ohio State fans with our running backs. But uh, yeah, no, I was I was the same way in terms of my own expectations. I couldn't believe he came out that hot because the way Trevor Lawrence has been playing and a couple of the other guys, I'm like, there's no way that Fields is going to get back into the Heisman race realistically in my mind, unless he just plays incredible. And he and he did. And I mean, it was almost a flawless game outside of. Alave, I don't even almost I wouldn't even call it a drop, but that really difficult catch in the end zone where he went skyward and didn't come down with it. I mean, the ball was in his hands before it got broken up. But Fields was was very very impressive. I wanted to ask you about the run game, Master Teague and Trey Sermon. Master Teague coming back from an Achilles injury, Sermon coming over from Oklahoma. I don't think me personally yet. I'm I'm really worried about the run game. It was week one. There's no, you know, powder puff opponents for us to or Ohio State to really kind of, you know, get their gears going and loosen up with. They they really they start started off with a Big Ten opponent, Nebraska, right away, a worthy one. But what do you think uh, outlook for them is? Should Ohio State fans be worrying yet, or do you think it's something that we'll probably get it together here in the in the next game or two? Yeah, I think that. You know, I think there's one certainty like uh, that I can't wait is I don't think there's a J.K. Dobbins on this team. Like I, I certainly don't think that, and I and that's really the one certainty that I feel. Like if you were holding out hope that one of these guys was going to be J.K. Dobbins, like I don't really see that happening. I think that they could have a nice little two-headed, you know, tailback rotation with with Trey Sermon and Master Teague. I don't really think that you know it's going to rise to that J.K. Dobbins level. But the the real question there is, you know, how good does it need to be? And when you have Justin Fields on the team, that means that you have Justin Fields throwing to Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. That also means you have Justin Fields who can be helpful in the run game. Um, and if you look at him, you know, he had 16, he, had, he technically had 16 rushes. You know, three of those were designed, three of those were sacks, and 10 of those were scrambles. And I think that, I think that, you know, it makes me wonder, you know, how good does this run game actually have to be when, when you have a healthy Justin Fields out there? So, um, going forward, I do think it probably needs to to take a step forward, and and I do wonder, you know, if teams will focus on stopping the run a little bit less um, going forward. And I do wonder also, you know, is 
you know, what is, is Harry Miller going to play up to the standard that I think that he, that he should at left guard? I think that he had sort of a so-so first game. I think Josh Myers and Wyatt Davis played well. I don't think that they were outstanding. I think that interior line can and will play better. So I think I, you know, I'm certainly not viewing it as a concern. I don't think you're going to walk away from the Penn State game and think, "Wow, this rushing attack can't be stopped." But I don't know that you have to either. I think this offense can be a great, great offense, you know, the best in the country with just a good running game. And how do you go from like okay to to good? I, I think you do that by you know you get those running backs maybe a little bit more comfortable in the offense and, and have the interior of the offensive line. You know, block a little bit better with more consistency throughout a game. Yeah, there's nothing. There's nothing like live reps that, in comparison to practice or even just you know run throughs, uh, especially against a Big Ten opponent like Nebraska. Did the last part about the run game? I want to ask you about did did Fields is at the end of last year? Justin Fields was clearly in my mind injured, especially in the Clemson game. He was not the same player he was in week two, three, four, you know, five, six. He was clearly hampered. Does him running? Because I, I came away with this game, and I'm like, man, like I love watching Fields run. He's so dynamic. He's obviously very impressive as a passer. Do you think that him running 16 times is maybe a few times too many to keep him upright throughout the whole? Uh, I guess we have it'd be a nine game season uh, guaranteed, but throughout the full, uh, it's not even guaranteed because of the COVID, which I'm going to get into with you. But do you think running 16 times is maybe a few times too many, or what? Do you, what are your kind of thoughts on? on fields running that many times. Yeah, I think uh, I fully understand why, why that question gets asked. And I think it's been asked, you know, I think a lot of people are concerned. I don't think that, I don't think that's a, it's a small amount of people who are worried when Justin Fields get, gets the ball, because I agree. Like I, I, you know, I can't ever prove this, but I think if Justin Fields is a hundred percent healthy against Clemson and Ohio state wins. So yeah, it has a gigantic effect on on what the Buckeyes do this fall, especially if we're talking about an offense that's so centric on him, both in the pass and the run game. But you know, my take on it is that you know a lot of those were scrambles. They weren't they weren't calling a ton of designed runs. They had three designed runs where, where Justin Fields kept the ball, and I think that that's you know that seems fine. I don't think people would look at three and say that's too many. Um, I think yeah. they would probably say that's about right. I think the scrambles are where you know you wonder could he throw the ball away? Could he could he keep his eyes downfield a little bit more? And I think that I think you know once or twice I, I maybe thought he could have. You know, Garrett Wilson was open in the back of the end zone once when he rolled out right, but you know the way he explained it was it was third and five. You know, they were on around the ten yard line. He felt like he could pick up the first down, and and he did easily. And he almost scored on that play. He got down to the one yard line, then that's play master D granted in. So you know, he felt that was more more safe for the offense. And you know, I just think this is just, this is who Justin Fields is. Like if you're gonna if you're gonna worry about that, then you're sort of just worrying about who Justin Fields is as a player. I think you know, at some point you just have to, you just have to let him go a little bit and let him be himself because he is going to run. He's too good not to run. You're you're just taking away one of the most important parts that, that makes him one of the best quarterbacks in the country, if not. So yeah, I, I am legitimately concerned about his health because if you were to ask me, what's the number one thing that could prevent them from winning a national title, it's probably Justin Fields getting hurt, but also, you know, you're not going to win unless Justin Fields is Justin Fields. and, And I think you just have to let him go at some point. Yeah, there's a part of, you know, take what the defense gives you and you don't want to keep the training wheels, I guess, on him while you're trying to protect him. But he's he's so dynamic as a runner, I think, in some sense. You're, you're right. They only had three design runs. And you, you, at, at some point, you just got to, you know, let him be him. I, I, I agree with you there. Uh, last thing I wanted to ask you on the offense, any update at all on Alave and his injury? Is he expected to suit up this weekend? Or are we still kind of game time to call 
How's, how's things playing out there? Well, we'll know Friday at 10 a.m. because that's when they put out the the, uh, the injury report. But, I mean, Ryan Day said today that he went through a full week of practice um, and, and he looked good. So I am fully expecting that he plays. Um, you know, you never know, like, how healthy he is. I, sh- I certainly hope, you know, for his sake that, that he, he recovered pretty quickly. But even on Tuesday, Garrett Wilson uh, said that he fully expects that, that Chris is going to play on on, sun, at, on Saturday. So I'm thinking that he'll be back. Um, I would be pretty surprised if he's not. Fantastic. Sigh of relief for uh, Buckeye <laughs> fans out there. Now, uh, a couple questions on the defensive side of the ball I wanted to ask you. One thing that really kind of concerned me this year was not having a Bosa brother, Chase Young, three top three picks in the NFL draft their respective years on the defensive line and the pass rush in general. How do you think that played out week one? And another question as well, right? More of a statement um, about Haskell Garrett and him coming back. What's it been? Maybe six, seven weeks since that shooting. What did you think of Garrett and his game and just the defensive line in general? Yeah. I mean, I'll start with Haskell Garrett because I just think that's so crazy. Um, And I'm not, you know, I, I never really expected him to play this season. So that's that's the amazing part. When you wake up on a Sunday morning and, and you know, see the news that he had been shot in the face, it's like, Crazy. you know, how do you, how do you come back from that? And, you know, it's, it was unbelievable. He was interviewed this week and he was talking about how, you know, that happened on a Sunday. And on the Friday that week, he was back, you know, in the football facility and meetings with Larry Johnson. And, like, that's less than a week after getting shot in the face. You just – I mean, I, I I literally can't even believe that. It's so crazy. He's missing five teeth. He's on a on a liquid only diet for the most part right now. I mean, it's just so crazy. But I I think the key part about Haskell Garrett to me is like it's not just a feel good story about this guy who's overcoming something just terrible, terribly traumatic. You know, he's a really good he was a really good player on Saturday. And I wasn't even expecting that. I figured if he'd play, maybe it would be a little bit sporadically. But if I was looking at him, I thought he and Tommy Togiai were the two best defensive tackles. And I just think that's that's so crazy, um, just based on where he came from. But, you know, looking past Haskell, you know, it's I think that my takeaway from the defense in general was there's just it was hard to learn a lot from this game because I don't think you're gonna see a lot of offenses like like Nebraska like Nebraska operated where you know they just didn't attack Ohio State down the field at all. You know, the quarterback run was a gigantic part of, of what they did. And that was the most important thing for Ohio State to, to shut down and you know try to slow down. And so I, I it was hard to learn a ton. I think that, you know, I wasn't super impressed by the by the pass rush, but I also don't think that that really mattered in this game. And I don't know that that was a focus because you know, Adrian Martinez and Luke McCaffrey were not exactly dicing up the secondary down the field because they weren't even trying to do that. Um, so I think we're going to learn a lot about that, you know, potentially on Saturday, um, more so than than we were able to in Week One. That's uh, yeah, that's that's good to hear. Uh, rest of the defense, um, linebacking core, secondary. Obviously, getting Sean Wade back was a huge get for Ohio State. Losing our secondary coach, I think he went to BC. Is that correct? Yep. And mm-hmm. then we were starting you know, all new starters on the back end there outside of Wade. What were, your, what were your impressions, thoughts? I'll be honest with you, the first four, I think it took four plays for Nebraska to go right down the field in the beginning. And I'm like, oh, gosh, here we go. This isn't good. And they yeah, really kind of yeah. settled down midway through the second quarter and into the second half. They played uh, played pretty well. What were your kind of impressions from the rest of the team? Yeah, I, I you know, watching in real time, I thought the exact same thing because, you know, they gave up a 47-yard run to Luke McCaffrey on, I believe it was the second play of the game. And, 
uh, in the entirety of the 2019 season, they gave up four 40 plus yard runs. So to get one on the second play of the season, that wasn't a great sign to me. But uh, if, if you go back and look at it, I, I just I wasn't seeing a lot that other teams are going to replicate and beat Ohio State. It just felt like a really good call against a defense that Nebraska knew that Ohio State was going to run and was executed really well. So I, I didn't look at some of that stuff and think, you know, Ohio State's going to be in trouble moving forward. Um, I think that it was hard to get a real gauge on the secondary just because they didn't throw the ball downfield much. I think More you could tested. see Josh yeah. Proctor. I, yeah, I, could, I think you could see Josh Proctor, you know, coming downhill and, and being aggressive. Um, I thought he was a little interesting there. I think that the good part about Marcus Hooker is, you know, on that 47 yarder, he missed a tackle that he has to make. The the good part there is, you know, after that drive, you know, he talked earlier this week, he settled down. He didn't miss any more tackles. He was perfectly fine the rest of the game. So, you know, he's going to need to be that guy that Jordan Fuller was last year. I was, I, I was, I was pleased about, you know, how he played beyond that first drive. Um, I think the linebackers were pretty solid. Um, I wasn't, I wasn't overly impressed, but I also wasn't looking at them and thinking that they were getting torched or anything. You know, Tough Borland, <laughs> Tough Borland is the fans' least favorite player, but I thought Tough Borland played a fine game on Saturday. Um, I, th- he, I thought he I thought, down, Pete I thought too. played better. Yeah, yeah I thought well, Borland settled down too yeah. after the first couple drives. I, I yeah, agree Tough has there. Tough has this one play every game or two where it just he just looks like the the least athletic linebacker in the Big Ten, and like he had <laughs> one of those plays on Saturday. That classic Ohio um, linebacker that has just been playing linebacker for years and years, and yeah, yeah has two yeah, left feet so, sometimes, but overall yeah, he, 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 he makes those kind of plays. But but I thought he was pretty solid. Um, so I I don't know. I think a lot of this defense we're going to find out this upcoming week, which is. It's, it is a little bit daunting. I think the, the one thing that you know, I feel so confident in this offense, um, but you know there are, area, there are areas on both sides of the ball, I think, that you know, people are going to have to prove themselves. And to prove yourself against Penn State in week two, I think is, that's, a, that's, a tough, that's a tough ask. Yeah, so I wanted to transition into that. Last, last thing on Nebraska, too. You wrote an article about Christina Johnson, Ohio State's new chancellor president. Uh, I guess she'd be the the president, not chancellor, but uh, new new president getting the game ball. Talk a little bit about that. Um, it was a nice article, and what uh, what kind of went into her getting the game ball? Yeah, well, I think mainly it was just essentially that you know she was fighting for the season, and she was out in front. She was pretty public early on that you know her vote was going to be to to either postpone the season temporarily or to, to play on um, and not postpone it indefinitely into the spring. So, you know, I think, I think that in and of itself just showed that, you know, if you thought that, that the public alignment with Ryan day and Gene Smith and her was, you know, just, you know, putting on a show, I think that they wouldn't have given the game ball to her if that was not the case. Sure. Sure. I, I was when everything was kind of going on and, I don't know where you kind of stand on coronavirus. I'm going to ask you about that, but uh, I was very outspoken. I'm like, if this lady who I'm sure is very, very nice and coming in from a school and I forget the school's name in New York to Ohio state is not voting to play. I was like, I was very upset, but then upon learning the actual vote and I believe it was Nebraska, Ohio state and Iowa were those the three that were pushing for it. That, made me very happy as an Ohio state fan. I, I obviously am. I want everybody to be safe, but at the same time, uh, her pushing, you know, Ohio state to play and saying, Hey, there is science and data that states that we can do this in a safe way. 
which so far has been successful. I know it's only been a week, but they have been practicing for some time and there hasn't really been an outbreak uh, unless you know of one that I don't know about with uh, coronavirus on the team. Do you, do you know of anything that's happened over the last you know couple months? Not all? Ohio State. I mean, they had uh, they, they shut down. Places. Yeah, there there. Ha- I mean, the Wisconsin Nebraska game's not happening this weekend. Um, but at Ohio State, they've they've avoided. And, and Ohio State University, the general population has has been, you know, they've had lower numbers than than some other universities who have had trouble with it too. Absolutely. Uh, and then, yeah, now, so shout out Christina Johnson, uh, game ball. It's huge. Ohio State, Penn State. Give me a little preview here. What should we expect? Ohio State's coming off a big win versus Nebraska. The end of the game, we, we, uh, kind of a little controversial. We, we covered the spread. This is a betting show. Uh, we covered the spread and I was, Frost was not too pleased with it, but overall, I think it's kind of one of those things that in a year, nobody's going to remember. Anyway, Ohio State had a big game, Penn State. They were favored by about a touchdown against, I think it was seven points against Nebraska or against uh, Indiana and came up short. I thought that call was pretty controversial at the end. We can run through the whole end of that game, but what do you kind of see OSU Penn State this game? Does Penn State come you know, pretty charged up? There's no whiteout as well, which I think is something to note for people. But what do you, what do you kind of see in terms of just a matchup, Ohio State's offense, Penn State's defense? And uh, yeah, what, uh, what should be watching out for? Yeah, it's you know it's it's really hard um, to to know. I, I think you mentioned the whiteout, just how much of an effect that's going to have. Um, it, I, I just think that that's just incalculable almost. Um, I think that you know, in talking to Ohio State players this week, like Ohio State players wanted to have it because they like that environment. They wanted to go in there and experience that too. But I do think it probably plays you know some sort of uh, in favor of Ohio State but you know in terms of the matchup on the field and I'm not really sure how much that'll affect you know what goes ac- what goes on actually on the field um I think I think Ohio State's passing offense you know what, what anything that Justin Fields is involved in um they're going they're going to be at an advantage um against against Penn State's defense but the thing that I would note is you know the one thing that would worry me is uh, you know and probably should worry Ohio State fans is is what Penn State can do as as a pass rushing team because you know I thought Thayer Munford and Nicholas Petit Frere at offensive tackle um, I thought they were tremendous in week one but I also thought Nebraska's defensive ends didn't really challenge them that much and if you look at what Penn State has with Shaka Tony who you know, was Penn State's best player on both sides of the ball in week one. And then Jason Owe, who is a potential first round pick in the spring. But those are two really tough guys to, to have coming off the edge. And I know Ohio State's also, you know, ready for Penn State to, to blitz them a lot. And I think, you know, last game also showed that, you know, they're a little bit susceptible to, to defensive line stunts, at least right now. And especially at left guard with Harry Miller, who's just in his second year in the program. So, you know, I think that the pass rush is probably the number one thing about Penn State's defense that that should probably keep you know, Ohio State's fans' eyebrows up. That's uh, I I was thinking the exact same thing when it comes to their pass rush. And this is going to be a game to really test us and see, you know, what we're made of. And what do you what do you also think of Penn State? You know, they're 0-1. Obviously a tough loss to Indiana. I thought the ball was short. What did you think? Did you think that ball was short or did you think that was a touch or a two point conversion at the end? Did you think yeah, it was I thought, um, <laughs> you know, so I, have no, I had no idea. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, okay, I had yeah. no idea. I was just so glad that I wasn't the one making, making the, call. the call. I thought whatever call on the field they made was gonna be what it was, and that's what it came so came yep, out to. Yep. And 
But I swear, I mean, that, that ball was short. But we, I think we that have was a bet close, pen- yeah, that was the closest thing that I've ever seen. Like, I, I cannot believe it. It was, it was, it was that, that tight of a call. I couldn't either. But you have a Penn State team who that, that first game against Indiana happened. And you have a team now that's 0-1 and already desperate. They need to win this game. If they, you know, start 0-2 and they're staring, they're behind Ohio State 2-0 in the, in the Big Ten East standings, they're, you know, they're clearly in, uh, second place, maybe third place hunt mode at that point in time. It's it's going to be very hard to catch the Buckeyes or the Wolverines even, who look pretty impressive week one. What do you think about kind of their offense, Clifford? Do you think that they pose any challenge to our defense uh, that we maybe didn't see as much throughout the Indiana game? They picked it up at the end. He had a huge throw at the end of the game that uh, got it. I think they were actually up one, not tied one and uh, really kind of ignited them. Do you think there's any uh, anything there for, for our defense to, I guess, have to be wary of? Yeah, I think that the, the two things I'd note are, you know, we saw enough of Nebraska's quarterback succeeding on the ground that, you know, I would, I would pay attention to that with Sean Clifford because it's not like Sean, I don't, you know, Sean Clifford's not Justin Fields as an athlete, but he can run. You know, he picked up more than 100 yards last game on the ground. Um, and the other thing I would mention is, is Pat Fryermuth is maybe the best tight end in the country. Um, he can legitimately make that claim. And last year, Ohio State had Pete Warner on him for the majority of the time. And right now, you know, they move Pete Warner from strong side linebacker to weak side linebacker, which essentially means instead of being an outside linebacker, he's playing in the box next to tough Borland. So I don't necessarily think unless they change things up unexpectedly that he's going to be back on Friermuth. And there, I just, I'm not 100% sure where they go with that, whether it be, you know, you have Baron Browning or Justin Hilliard shadow him. If you have Josh Proctor on him, uh, maybe you put Sean Wade on him at time just to give him a different look. I'm not really sure exactly what they're going to do there, but he is defending him is going to be really important. That's a good note. I didn't actually think about that. And he, that, that um, he's not going to be covered. Uh, the same way, or potentially this year by our defense. That's that's, that's an interesting, uh, interesting note and thought. I also wanted to ask it too. I'm, I'm really looking forward to this game. The game opened up as a 13 point spread. It's down to 11 and a half. I actually thought the line was going to move the other way. Are you into sports betting at all, or lines at all whatsoever? <laughs> I, I'm not. I'm not into sports betting that much, but I'm all. I'm always fascinated by lines because you know you said it opened at 13. I had actually seen. You know, on our we we had seen somewhere open it at eight, and I thought eight was insane. Um, yeah. And then you know, I you think you said it was eleven and a half right now, and and that sounds more reasonable. I'll probably pick Ohio State to win by more than that, and it's it's and it's really simple. It's just because I I believe in this offense a lot, um, and I think that this defense, you know, as you know, as much as concerns as people have after week one. I do think that there's enough talent um, that you know maybe didn't get a chance to shine in week one that. Um, we'll 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 play well um, against Penn State. That'll sort of quell some concerns. I'm I'm with you there. I had a buddy who equally into sports betting, kind of like myself, and he bet uh, Ohio State right away at 13. He goes, "There's no way that line's not moving to closer to 15, 16, 17, or at <laughs> yeah. least hovering at 14." And it went down to 11 and a half. And he's like, "Gosh, like what the heck? What's happening here?" And I couldn't I couldn't kind of believe it either. But I I think Ohio State for me personally, and I agree with you that our offense is going to be very, very hard to slow down over the course of four quarters. And anything up to like 16, I thought there was great value on the Buckeyes, in my, in my opinion. So even with uh, Penn State's pass rush, I do want to ask you about I'm really looking forward to the Penn State-Ohio State game, but I did want to ask you about, we've, we've talked about it, you noted about it in this show already, 
Give me your thoughts on coronavirus in the Big Ten. Wisconsin is having to shut down football operations for seven days. I believe they're on their four-string quarterback now, uh, whose mm-hmm. name is is just fantastic. But uh, Graham Mertz is out. The first top three quarterbacks are out. Paul Christ uh, tested positive for, for uh, coronavirus. Give me your just kind of, I guess, basic thoughts or, or breakdown of, of the situation that's going on in Wisconsin right now. Yeah, I think it's really tough because, you know, the Big Ten has put itself in the situation um, when they, you know, when they, they knew that they were going to put themselves in the situation, but when they, when they moved the season back this far, they didn't give themselves any wiggle room. So, you know, what they would have liked to do if they had started around where, you know, the SEC or the ACC had started is you know, they would love to actually reschedule the game, I'm sure, but they don't have any wiggle room, so they can't do that. Um, and, and that's that's on them for for starting it when they did. Um, so I think it's I think it's tough. Like this game is not going to get replayed. You know, those teams are just going to play seven regular season games, and that's going to be it. And and it's just hard to know. I mean, it's it, it really is tough. I think for for these schools when you know obviously numbers aren't going exactly in the right in the right way um, when it comes to coronavirus throughout the country right now, and to to you know have. To have to shut down over twelve positives is 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 unfortunate yet also understandable at the same time. And I think it's it's just tough for everybody in the conference because you know you get back to playing and the second game gets canceled and you can't even reschedule and you've only got now seven. You only got you know six more games, seven total games in the season. I just think I think it's going to be really tough to going forward. And I was someone who you know I was pretty optimistic actually in the in the Big Ten's plan to use rapid daily testing to you know combat um, the the spread of coronavirus within a program just because I thought you know if you if you do it like that then it minimizes the chance that it's going to actually spread within a team and then you're looking at like you know would it spread just via individual cases from people out getting it from outside the program and you know it's hard to it I mean all of this is just so hard to know um, yeah. I just think it's the conference is just in such a tough place uh, when it when it comes to that um I actually thought about this too at first. I, you know, I processed it the, the same way you did, and I, I, your points, I do agree with on. But I almost think this weekend with them having to play their four string quarterback against Nebraska, or would have if the game was not canceled, it was almost kind of like a break that because because they don't suffer a forfeit, correct? They don't take a loss. It's just the game is not played and it doesn't count against anybody's schedule. I wonder what the spread would have been. I, and maybe it was out. I'm not sure. But only playing your four-string quarterback, even against Nebraska, seems like something that could involve you know a pretty decent upset there. Do you think? Do you would you think that's kind of a decent break? I guess for Wisconsin, obviously the circumstances are not what they want. They want to be playing football, but in a sense, do you kind of understand what I'm saying? I understand what you're saying, but I'll be honest. Like Nebraska is Nebraska. I, I yeah, still think they, they should just pound them anyway. Quarterback. I don't. Yeah, I don't. I wouldn't. I probably would have picked Wisconsin, and that's just that's that's not a it's not a statement on anything other than where I think Nebraska is as a program. So I understand. Like I think there's a lot of Nebraska fans who are really disappointed by that, and that and, and I think some of them too. Yeah, they probably don't like that it's a no contest, but like. Folks, you do you do you, did you see week one? Like have you seen recent years of, of your team play? Like this just because you're playing Wisconsin with its fourth string quarterback does not mean that you know you should view it as a certainty that 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 they would have won. I have no idea what the line would have been. That would have been fascinating yeah. though. It would have for sure. Uh last one, want to get you out of here uh on 
also coronavirus question. What do you think? Uh, Wisconsin is not playing this weekend against Nebraska. When they came out with big, they the Big Ten came out with the protocols and the plan. They basically stated that we have eight weeks to play games. We're sticking to this December nineteenth Big Ten title game um, format. There's no wiggle room, as as you mentioned. How many games do you think Ohio State gets in? I, I, it's almost kind of like a guess, but how many games do you think in? And more importantly, how many games do you think we need to get in to qualify for the college football playoff? Yeah, I think that, you know, <laughs> the eternal optimist in me thinks that they're going to get them all. I, I, I really do think from Ohio State's perspective that Ohio State is taking this seriously. And, you know, I it's coronavirus. Like things can happen, you know, if if – you know, there's a, there's a bad test or something. What all worries of a sudden, me is like records. If they're like 0 and 5, yeah. they're not 0 and 5, yeah, but 1 I think and 5. That that's the troubling thing. Where's the, where's the incentive for that guy who's 21 years old and, you know, their team is not great and he just loses focus, you know? And then Ohio State, you know, can't play Rutgers because 20 guys on the team have coronavirus. Mm hmm. Yeah, I so, think that that's 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 just hard to know. Like, I know like, it's it's is that a game. real is that a real legitimate concern that we that you know we should have? I I just I don't know. So I think that from an Ohio State perspective, I legitimately think Ohio State is doing what it can to 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 stay safe and healthy. Um, but you know, to get through a season, you're basically asking, will any other Big Ten team that is going to be on Ohio State schedule go through something similar that that Wisconsin's going through? And and that's just I don't. I, I don't even know how to predict that. I would. I guess like. I don't know. I'd probably predict that one of You're them doesn't optimist. get played. <laughs> yeah, I am an optimist, so I'm between like, do they play them all or do they play? Do they? Do you play think all they need to get one? like maybe at least six in or seven to at least qualify for the playoff? Because they're going to get. Let's say yeah. they do. Uh, you know, they're fortunate enough to go six, seven, and zero at least, if not eight and zero. Hopefully, do you think if if we complete six games, then win the Big Ten title game, seven and zero, Ohio State is in the playoff. Yeah, I do. I do. Um, as long as seven Ohio State looks looks impressive, looks good doing it. Yeah, um, as long as they look like they should deserve it, I, I do. I think that you know it's it's weird because you know it's funny. It's like we're we're all having these conversations about how many games they would need or whatnot, but the college football playoff committee is not even going to put out their rankings until I believe November twenty fourth for the first time. So you know we're all going to speculate about how this will affect teams, but until we actually see those first ones, we're not going to really know. We got another month, yeah, until uh, mm -hmm. until we'll see how they're viewing everybody. Uh, Colin, I really appreciate you joining me. Last thing I'd like to ask you is anything at all on this show you'd like uh, you know my viewers to learn about you and where can they find you? Um, get more information on on you yourself and uh, Eleven Warriors. Well, I think yeah. I mean, I don't, I'm not sure that there's anything else other than I uh, hope hope you guys uh, tune in and read uh, Eleven Warriors for the rest of the fall because I know that we are all going to be busy trying to crank out some some good stuff. I know I have a story on Garrett Wilson's basketball career coming out tomorrow morning that you know, I'm I am uh, excited to run. But you know, for me personally, and find me at Eleven Warriors or on Twitter at C H A S S H I L L. Um, C. Hossil, my last name. Awesome. Thanks, Colin. Appreciate it. Uh, actually, before I let you go, I think Garrett Wilson went to my high school, Dublin, Sciota. I'm not sure. I'll have to figure that out. But <laughs> hey, thanks I so think, much. Well, really, yeah. Really no, when, I'll, I'll say when he was younger, I think he was in Dublin, but then he graduated from Lake Travis down Texas. in Texas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. He had an older brother. I think he was a few years behind me. 
I mm-hmm. think. And his dad might have gone to North Carolina. I forget what what transpired there, <laughs> but I'll figure that out at a different time. Hey, really appreciate you coming on. Thanks so much, and uh, go Bucks, man. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Yep. Thanks, Colin.